listening to the Paul McGuire Report. Welcome to wherever you are, whether you're in the USA or anywhere on planet Earth. Welcome to the Paul McGuire Report. On today's program, I want to talk about the way the universe and the world is constructed in terms of the subatomic composition of our world, the molecular uh, composition of our world in biology. And I want to provide you with an easy to understand but scientific platform or scientific foundation by which you can really understand the supernatural principles that the personal living God of the universe has been teaching his children, you and I, assuming you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have done that, then you are in indeed uh, one of Christ's children or God's children. And God has been trying to communicate with you and all of his children since the beginning of time, since the beginning of the fall in, in the Garden of Eden. And the Bible is a chronological record. It's an accurate historical depiction of not only what has happened to the human race, but his interactions with his people, beginning with the Jews and the assignment from God to the Jews to show and demonstrate the light of the world through the law of God and the laws of God and the commandments of God. The Jews had the unique task and and a very difficult task of their assignment was to demonstrate God's reality before a pagan, occultic, and very spiritually dark world. They were supposed to be a living example of a people that lived in the light of the truth of God's word, God's plan, God's commandments. And and this story, uh, which is not a, a fictional story, it's a truthful historical account documented in history, documented by the Word of God. So you take the entire Old Testament, and it's a it's an historical account between God and the children of Israel, and what happens when you obey God's commandments and laws, and what happens when you disobey God's commandments and laws. And then, when you move through the Old Testament, you arrive uh, at the New Testament. And in the New Testament, a, a promise that God makes way back in the first chapter of Genesis, all of a sudden, this promise after thousands of years, materializes. And this promise is the coming of the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so the New Testament uh, involves a powerful spiritual transformation and transition as God has been teaching all of mankind through the Jews and the law of God about himself. But then suddenly, at a particular uh, time in human history, God reveals far more about himself, beginning with, among other truths, the fact that the, the nature of God is first and foremost personal. And this is so vitally important to understand what it means by the fact that God is a personal God. He's the personal of God of the universe. Because when you contrast that with 
all the other religions, the occultic religions, the mystical religions, the large religions, and even the religion of modern science and the religion of secular humanism, both of which are some of the most fundamentalist religions that have ever occupied this planet, but they they deny the priests or the high priests of the religion of science, they deny the reality that science is a religious belief, because you are required to believe all kinds of outrageous things apart from reason, uh, rational thinking, uh, documentation, scientific, empirical evidence, and so on and so forth. So you are required, and there's a denial here, and a a denial is always a lie, it's a non-truth. The denial that comes from the scientific community is that their science, their technology, uh, is all based on scientific truth. It's all based on documented truth, and most of all, they claim, and it's a lie, they know it's a lie, they claim that science is built upon uh, empirical scientific evidence. That means evidence that exists that is not based merely on someone's opinion or someone's idea, but theoretically through through, uh, long-term experimentation and testing via the scientific method, you come up with empirical evidence. That's evidence that's based on scientific fact, uh, scientific experimentation, and it is supposed to have nothing to do with people's emotionalistic belief systems. But, as you well know, modern science today, even though uh, that definition of science arose during, let's say, the golden age of science, and you could debate when that was. I personally think it was probably between the 1700s and the 1800s, and they developed the scientific method. In fact, I believe it was Sir Francis Bacon who was credited uh, with the title of being uh, the founder, the discoverer, the originator of the scientific method. And again, his name, and you know it, is Sir Francis Bacon. But the reality is that Sir Francis Bacon, when you dig into his life, as I have in my research, and I write extensively about Sir Francis Bacon in, in many of my books, like Power from on High and Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind, History of the World, and A Prophecy of the Future of America, Sir Francis Bacon is one of these historical figures that when you understand him, and I explain him in those books, when you understand him and you understand what he was really about versus what you are uh, told he was about, understanding Francis Bacon gives you the power to, to debate or to discuss with anybody. And I don't care how sophisticated and how brilliant they are in, let's say, the fields of science or technology or physics or, or biology or genetics or computer science or, or whatever science. I don't care how sophisticated they are. 
all of modern science is supposed to be built on the foundation of scientific method, which is based on empirical evidence. And, and the scientific method is simply this. I just stated it, but I'm going to restate it. Scientific method is when you come up with a conclusion, when you arrive at a final proof of your theory, because there's lots of scientific theories. So, for example, despite the fact that it is concealed from the public and your children through the media, etc., modern science classifies the theory of evolution by Charles Darwin as just that. It is classified as a theory. It is not called or labeled, evolution is not called or labeled a scientific fact. And that's imperative. You can't move forward one iota on that trail unless you affirm and identify and reinforce what the pioneering scientists like Sir Francis Bacon discovered, you know, a long time ago, which is true science. You have a a theory like Charles Darwin has a theory that mankind, the human race, is the product of 200 million years or more of random random evolution. So that means you start out with some kind of non-living matter or energy, and then through accident and random chance, you know, maybe a pebble falls off a a comet and, and lands on another comet, and when that pebble scrapes the surface of, of the other con- uh, comet, total, totally by random chance, it causes a chemical interaction. So let's just say, hypothetically, that the chemical interaction is uh, copper scrapes against uh, uh, some other kind of rock. And, and, and th- these kind of minute, seemingly insignificant, Progressions happening over 200 million years where this pebble hits this comet surface. And then finally, uh, there's a a pool of of some kind of muddy water, and they find a a single microorganism, you know, let's say after 100 million years. And then, by pure random chance, they discover uh, a slightly higher order uh, uh, living particle. Uh, biological <clears throat> microscopic entity or whatever. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the point is, after 200 million years, theoretically, according to Darwin's theory of evolution, man arrives, and man is the product of this accidental bumping together of uh, particles, chemicals, so on and so forth. Well, the problem with that theory is that there's no scientific empirical evidence that proves that Darwin's theory of evolution is even true. So what the scientific community and the educational community is demanding of students and children and the public, they are demanding that you believe in evolution, you believe in Darwin's theory of evolution, despite the fact there's no scientific proof or scientific empirical evidence that even remotely proves that it's true. 
So if you're being forced to believe something out of a total leap of faith with no scientific evidence whatsoever to support it, such as the theory of evolution, you do not have, that's not a scientific uh, argument. That, that, the theory of evolution, is not a product of science. You can't, quote, follow the science if you're dealing with evolution. Why? Because it's, it's arrived at by complete defiance and complete rebellion of the major tenets of the scientific method, which is you must have uh, documented empirical evidence. So what you're requiring the masses of people to do, like students and schools and governments or whoever and scientists, what you're requiring them to do is believe in your theory about the origins of life without any scientific evidence whatsoever. Well, the problem with that is that that theory of evolution cannot be based on science. It is not a product of science. It has to be redefined accurately. What it is, is a religious or spiritual or mystical belief. And I say mystical, religious, or spiritual belief because humanists and scientists are always accusing um, Bible-believing Christians of believing in Jesus, believing in the resurrection, believing in the creation account, and believing in the Bible. They accuse us of believing in the Bible without having any scientific evidence to support it. And that all we're doing is taking a giant leap of irrational faith. Well, the problem with that argument is that when they speak out that argument, they defeat themselves before they continue. How do they defeat themselves? They defeat themselves because even when you conduct uh, a cursory inspection of uh, the alleged scientific proof for evolution, you instantly come up with the reality that revolu uh, evolution requires you to believe in Darwin's theory apart from any logic, any reason, any scientific empirical evidence, any documentation. So what um, secular humanism is, because it's, it's, it's the, it's the birth of secular humanism arrives from science, and what science really is as it relates to Darwin's theory of evolution, is it is in reality a religious faith and a religious belief, because it doesn't rest on scientific documentation or empirical evidence. It rests purely on your belief, your faith, your hope. I hope you're tracking with me, no pun intended. So it's not scientific, and in fact, you know, this isn't my opinion or the opinion of, of different Christians. When the Supreme Court uh, tried a very important case, there, the, the, the conclusion of the Supreme Court of the United States was that the theory of evolution and, and secular humanism um, was not <clears throat> a science. It was not a scientific belief system. That humanism and evolution were a religion. They constituted a religious or spiritual belief because they are based on a leap of faith and they're not based on so-called scientific empirical evidence. As such, 
they define secular humanism, which is connected to evolutionary theory, they defined it as a religion, just like Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, or whatever. They are all defined uh, by the Supreme Court as a religion. Not a science, but a religion. Therefore, um, that collapses the argument of the uh, uh, scientist or the biologist uh, who, who promotes uh, evolutionary theory, because it requires that you believe in evolutionary theory through the rejection of your rational mind, logic, documentation, and empirical scientific evidence. And, and understanding this gives you enormous power in any discussion or any debate, whether you're a student or talking to whoever. It, it's a no-brainer. If you can't win, you don't have to be an expert in biology or evolution to win this argument. All you have to do is say that evolution and secular humanism is not based on science or scientific evidence or empirical evidence. It's based totally on faith and a belief system by people. And then the person you're discussing this with, you know, loses their temper and goes ballistic. And then you calmly say, this is not my opinion. This is the opinion of the Supreme Court of the United States of America, which define secular humanism and evolution as a religion and not a science. And then that's the end of the argument. Okay, so let's take this foundation of science. And by the way, I would add something to this. I would add something to this that is highly important. I don't think most Christians understand this. I learned this from studying Dr. Francis Schaeffer, the greatest uh, evangelical Christian theologian and philosopher in the last 150 years. Unfortunately, he is no longer studied uh, uh, or taught in the majority of Christian seminaries, universities, colleges, and high schools. And that is tragic because the brilliance of Dr. Francis Schaeffer and his ability to intelligently defend the Bible has been replaced by the equivalent of, of third-rate comic cartoon books or magazines, you know, made for seven-year-olds. Trite, uh, weak, impotent attempts at explaining Christianity. And, and that is a serious departure from the power of God's truth. Okay, so let's continue on, and I want to add this very powerful thought that Dr. Schaefer came up with, uh, and it powerfully affected me when I was in a place in my life where I hated Christianity. Dr. Francis Schaefer uh, explained the fact that Christianity is not a religion. So even though the Supreme Court defines Christianity as a religion, and even though most Christians call Christianity a religion, doctor, according to Dr. Schaefer's impeccable logic and, and rationale, Dr. Schaefer said, and I totally agree, agree with him, that Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is truth and not a religion. So what that means is, is that Christianity does not ultimately rest on a non-rational faith 
uh, uh, simply an emotional, psychological belief system. Christianity does not rest on some kind of good inner feeling. All of that is fuzzy and faulty logic. And when you hear Christians arguing for the defense of their faith and buying into the lie and mythology that Christianity is a religion, well, you know, get your act together, man or woman, and study and show to show yourself approved. Know what you're talking about. Christianity is not a religion because it's not based on emotional beliefs, beliefs, non-rational upper story leaps of logic. Christianity is truth and not a religion because ultimately Christianity really is based on scientific evidence, scientific fact, and the witness and documentation of historical evidence that goes back thousands and thousands of years. So what we have with Christianity is hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Bible that have already been fulfilled. Right there is empirical proof that the Bible is different than any other book ever written. Christianity has historical evidence. It has the, the witness and evidence of history, the rise and fall of empires. Uh, the Bible is perhaps the most, not perhaps, the Bible is the most uh, researched, defended, uh, credible book ever written. And there is all kinds of evidence in history, uh, in archaeology, archaeological discoveries. There are firsthand accounts and witnesses who saw the death and the resurrection of Christ, who saw the miracles of Christ. There are the, uh, the historical records of uh, the life of people like uh, King David and uh, Joshua and the prophets and the apostles and the disciples and Jesus Christ. So the witness and the evidence and the argument <clears throat> for the truth of Christianity is overwhelming. Okay, so... And scientifically true, because when you when you uh, examine the attacks that have been made on the Bible and Christianity, claiming that it's not scientifically true, all of those attacks end up being exposed as fraudulent, because whoever levied the attacks didn't know what they were talking about. Okay, so let's let's now move into the platform of both science and the truth of the Bible, and how both science, the truth of the Bible, logic, reason, uh, in, uh, willingness to develop your intellectual abilities, all entitle you to, to the platform or the foundation of truth upon which you can stand in every dimension of life. And so where we are now in history, and I talk about this constantly on the Paul McGuire Report, is at this current moment, we are in a life and death struggle between the forces of darkness, spiritual darkness, both supernatural and physical. And those forces of darkness are headed up by a real supernatural being whose name is Lucifer or Satan and his army of fallen angels or demons. And they are in a life-and-death struggle or spiritual war 
with the infinite personal living God in the universe, the God of the Bible, his angels, his angelic armies, uh, along with all the people who have received Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we are at the, we are rapidly approaching the end game and uh, a particular period of time that the Bible describes as the last days or the end of the age, where all of Bible prophecy is finally fulfilled, and there is what we could call, you know, the world is all freaked out uh, about <clears throat> what they call human extension-level events, where, where, you know, climate change, food shortages, nuclear war, or any number of things could cause a global catastrophe which wipes out the human race and they classify any event that could wipe out the human race as a human extinction level event. However, in contrast, our God is not science. So our hope, our resources, our defense does not merely come from uh, the, the byproduct of men's thoughts and their brains or the finite resources of mankind. Our hope is not rested, our hope is, does not rest upon uh, man or mankind or a man. Our hope rests in the infinite creator God outlined in the Bible. And therefore, when you read the Bible, you read uh, many prophecies by Jesus Christ and the prophets and in the book of Revelation, etc. You read many accounts of what could be described as human extinction level events, for example, in the prophecies of the book of Revelation or the signs of the times outlined by Jesus Christ. And these are, uh, if, if your hope is just in humanism, these are very terrifying events. Now, we do not have to fear human extinction-level events. God told us about them thousands of years in advance, and he describes them in detail in, in prophetic books like the book of Revelation. And when we read the book of Revelation, which, by the way, to show you just how deep, uh, how deep an era the modern or contemporary Christian church, evangelical church, or so-called Bible-believing church is, uh, 84% of the evangelical Bible-believing church in America, 84% of that so-called Christian church forbids the teaching of Bible prophecies forbids the teaching of the book of Revelation, absolutely forbids that a pastor, a Bible study leader, or even their congregation read all the prophetic uh, passages or prophetic books in the Bible, and they especially forbid the teaching or reading of the book of Revelation. And that is, well, I'll tell you what that is. I'm going to be very straightforward with you. But I'm not lying. I'm, I'm telling the truth. I could pass a lie detector test when I say the following remark. When so-called Christian leaders, pastors, seminaries, Christian, so-called Christian denominations, 
Christian Bible study leaders or individual Christians. When they disobey God's commandments directly and refuse to teach the book of Revelation, refuse to teach Bible prophecy, or refuse to teach the prophecies in the Bible, they are collectively and individually guilty of committing some of the highest crimes against God and the kingdom of God that any human being could commit. So let me restate this, because this is vitally important to grasp. When a Christian, or a church, or a pastor, or a seminary, or or, or a denomination, or some kind of Christian school, when they make the decision to disobey the Word of God, and they refuse and force others to not study or read the book of Revelation or the prophecies of God that are carefully in the Bible, when they do that, they have made the, the decision to commit one of the highest criminal acts against God that anyone could possibly commit. That is the seriousness and the gravity of violating God's commandments by deliberately censoring and forbidding the teaching of Bible prophecies and the teaching of the book of Revelation. Now, you may say, well, how how can you say that? How dare you say that? I can say that because what I have just said is based on the Word of God and based on the law of God. All of God's Word is the inspired, inerrant Word of God, in that it's true. But in addition to that, no other book in the Bible, except for the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible where God specifically says in the beginning of the book of Revelation and at the end of the book of Revelation, God specifically says to the reader or would-be reader of the book of Revelation that if you dare to not teach the book of Revelation, if you dare to twist or distort or change or add or modify God's teachings in the book of Revelation, or if you refuse to teach the book of Revelation and and, and force others not to read the book of Revelation, if you're guilty of doing any of those things, according to the book of Revelation, beginning chapters and in the end, the crime that you have committed before God is so severe that your name will be blotted out from the book of life. And as most of you know, in order to enter heaven and, and receive eternal life, your name must be written in the book of life. But in the book of Revelation, you are warned that if you commit this crime against God by censoring or refusing to read or teach the book of Revelation, or, or just arbitrarily tr- changing the book of Revelation, before a holy and righteous God that will judge you on when he sits at the great white throne of judgment, you will be sentenced for all eternity into the lake of fire because your name is no longer written in the book of life, and your name must be written in the book of life in order for you to have eternal life and to enter into heaven. So that's God himself is telling us just how serious a crime that is against him. So let's ask the question that begs to be asked after we just discussed this on the Paul McGuire report. 
if you claim to be a Christian, and Christian's a popular expression is, you know, what would Jesus do? If you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be born again, if you claim to be attempting to do what Jesus would do, and yet you commit the crime of forbidding the teaching of the book of Revelation, or changing or distorting the book of Revelation, or or not teaching it, or opposing the book of Revelation, God clearly says in his word that the penalty for breaking his law, breaking his commandments, and breaking his word in that area by by opposing or censoring the book of Revelation, God is telling you that the penalty for that crime before him is that your name is erased from the book of life and you will no longer enter heaven or have eternal life. Now, so all the Christians call themselves Christians and attend churches willfully, by choice, the millions, let's just take the millions of Christians in the United States of America who attend churches, listen to pastors, attend Christian schools, attend Christian Bible studies, uh, attend certain uh, uh, Christian denominations. All those millions of Christians who, who attend and are members of and are part of all these different uh, Christian uh, bodies like churches and uh, Bible studies, etc. If you're attending churches and Bible studies, etc., where you are not being taught the book of Revelation, or if you are being taught the book of Revelation, it is seriously being changed from its original meaning or distorted. Or if you go to a church or some kind of Christian ministry or institution which forbids the teaching of the book of Revelation. I'm not talking about taking a Bible verse from Revelation, you know, out of context. Just mentioning one verse out of the book of Revelation out of context or mentioning any Bible verse out of context does not fulfill God's law to teach the entire book of Revelation. You're still guilty of the crime uh, of not teaching the book of Revelation. And so you will pay the penalty, which is your name will be blotted out of the book of life. Now, if you're going to all these churches and Christian institutions which have committed this high crime in the eyes of God and His Word regarding Bible prophecy and the book of Revelation, I want you to hear me, and I want you to... you can think about friends and colleagues and people you know who call themselves Christians. They are equally complicit with the leadership that refuses to teach Bible prophecy and refuses to teach the book of Revelation. They are equally as guilty as the leaders or churches or Christian institutions they follow that refuse to teach the book of Revelation. They, too, the ordinary people who attend these churches, are equally guilty because they're complicit in that crime against God because they finance those institutions with their attendance, their volunteerism, their tithing, their gifts, their contributions, their fellowship. They, they encourage others to attend that institution. And the, the unspeakable uh, spiritual harm, which is so deadly, that when a church or a so-called Christian institution refuses to teach Bible prophecy and refuses to teach the book of Revelation, the, the fallout 
from that crime against God is so is such is is of such gravity and seriousness that it actually causes nations like America to collapse uh, under under spiritual warfare. It causes countless millions not to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but to, to, but to mock God, to mock the miracles of God, to mock the second coming. In other words, you are not only complicit in the crime of empowering uh, an attack against the Word of God or Bible prophecy or censoring the book of Revelation, but you're also guilty and complicit in all the things that that creates, which is mass unbelief, countless millions not entering heaven, uh, countless millions doubting and rejecting the Bible, because we are now in the time period where, where so many things talked about in Bible prophecy, so many things talked about in the book of Revelation are materializing before our very eyes, such as the, the, the signs of the times, the uh, coming Antichrist government with the mark of the beast, 666, and a wireless nanochip or microchip implant, and the coming one world economic system, one world uh, government, and one world religion, and so many other things are coming together. And these are supposed to be blazing signposts for people to see that, yes, indeed, the signs of the times are being fulfilled and that Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. And God is using his word and Bible prophecy and the book of Revelation out of love to to give a giant neon sign in front of people and tell them, hey, wake up, you're at the end of the age. My prophetic signs are coming true everywhere. And that is supposed to be a warning that is so impossible to reject, a warning which says Christ is returning soon. And with that warning, there's the question God is asking you directly to your heart through the warning, are you ready personally for the return of Christ? And if you have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if your sins have not been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and if you are not born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not be allowed in the, uh, the kingdom of heaven. You will be sentenced for all eternity into the lake of fire with all those who accepted the mark of the beast, 666, and worship the Antichrist. And so you will not be saved. But the price tag is, is beyond comprehension. The only way you can be ready is to read the Bible, to read Bible prophecy, to read the book of Revelation, and to understand that the signs of the times and the prophetic signs that are exploding before our very eyes are coming true. All the things listed in the book of Revelation are coming true. For crying out loud, the Great Reset is just a rebranding of the New World Order. The New World Order is clearly warned about in the book of Genesis uh, when it gives the account of ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel. And then when you go to the book of Revelation, the New World Order is warned about once again. God is shouting through his prophets and through his prophetic word once again, the New World Order, the One World Government, the One World Religion, the One World Economic System, 
also known as Mystery Babylon, or the beast system, the coming of the Antichrist, uh, the coming of the false prophet, the mandatory distribution of the mark of the beast, which means you are forced to receive some kind of microscopic chip, chip implant, a nanochip implant, a biochip implant, uh, a microchip implant, wireless. That's right here in front of us. And, and you won't know that. You won't be able to perceive that if you have been prevented or blocked from reading Bible prophecy and the book of Revelation, which talks about all of these things. The New World Order is the same thing as, as the One World Government, One World Religion, and One World Economic System in the book of Revelation. It simply is being called by a new name to fool people. The rebranded name for this mystery Babylon global government system is simply called the Great Reset. And isn't it interesting that technology and science and biological sciences that have just been uh, developed in the last five years to 25 years, for the first time in mankind's history, we now have the technology to distribute chip implants that are wireless that can allow you to buy or sell in a wireless global government, global economic system, global religion for the first time in human history. This is one of God's prophetic super signs, as is the return of the nation of Israel to the physical land of Israel in 1948, which is a fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. And the return of Israel to the land of Israel in 1948 is known as God's super sign. That, too, is a Bible prophecy that has come true. So, all of this is designed by God to ask people the question directly to their hearts. God is speaking to the human race. God is speaking to you. God is speaking to everybody in America and every person on every, in every nation no matter whether they're at the top of the heap or the bottom of the heap. God is speaking to all men and women through his word, through his prophecies, and he's asking you and them the question, are you ready? Are you ready? That was the title of one of my books, Are You Ready? You can get that a phenomenal discount at paulmcguire.us. Are you ready? And what does that mean? It means if Christ was to return to that today, if Christ was to return today, would you be ready spiritually? Would you be ready physically if he was to return? Because you see, if you have rejected Christ, if you've rejected Bible prophecy, if you have refused to accept God's free gift of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, and you have refused to become born again, then you are not ready. And when Christ comes to gather his elect, his people, you will, not be, you will not be among the people Christ is coming to get and bring with him into heaven. Do you understand that? In addition, you need to read all of the Bible because it doesn't stop there. If you refuse to teach Bible prophecy, if you will not study and read Bible prophecy, like the book of Revelation, you are not ready for the return of Jesus Christ because you have, because God says by by opposing the book of Revelation, by not teaching the book of Revelation, by attending churches that don't teach the book of Revelation, your name is erased or blotted out of the book of life. 
And if your name is not written in the book of life, you cannot enter heaven. Therefore, you are not ready. This, the, the consequences of this are you either spend eternal life in hell or you spend eternal life in heaven based on the choices and where you put your faith. Now, you may be angry and you may think that's nonsense. We don't need to argue about it. That is the truth. Now, you may rebel. You may say, I don't want to hear it. You can do that. But when the day is done, and the consequences are fully manifested, you will find yourself either in heaven or hell. You're belie- Do you think God needs you to, to endorse his word? He doesn't. Okay, so this brings us to where we are in the United States of America at this present historical moment. And it is very important for you to grasp the context of God's word, especially prophecy, in relationship to where we are in the United States of America right now. Because it is the desire of God to save as many people and children and adults from all races, all ethnic groups, to save as many people as he possibly can. And how does he do that? He sends his people, that's us, into the world to preach the gospel to everybody in love. We are God's ambassadors. We're the the people that God sends out to bring people to Christ so they can get into heaven. Now, in order to do that, well, let's take a short break, and we're going we're gonna to come right back to in order to do that. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. We are in a daily battle for the hearts and minds of mankind, and I need you to stand with me with your contributions and gifts. Pray to the Lord, ask him what to do, and then pray God. I need you to stand with me by joining and endorsing and subscribing and following and liking all our social media, spreading our links far and wide. And then I need you. This is so critical. I need you desperately to be an intercessory prayer warrior for me, my family, those associated with this ministry, that we would be be effective. And I need your prayers, because without your prayers, we, we, I must have your prayers. That's, that's all I know how to say it. I must have your prayers. So we'll be back in just a moment. I urge you, with everything in me, to get yourself a copy of Power from On High, which is currently at the printer, and it will be shipped out in about uh, less than a week. Okay? If you want to save money and get it at a discount, now is your chance. Okay? Please don't write me or text me or email me after uh, the discount is over and tell and it's over, okay? I've extended it, I've extended it, I've given you the offer every day. You need to get Power From One High and you need to get extra copies for people you know. Power From One High and a select number of my other books are available right now at a discount. You can save money by going to paulmcguire.us, that's paulmcguire.us. McGuire is M-C-G-U-I-R-E dot U-S. It's all PaulMcGuire dot U-S. It's all lowercase. You can order securely. You can find the mail, correct mailing address there and, and, and send in a check. But you need to do it now. Why? Not because I just am interested in selling a book. This is the culmination of my life's work. 
It's the message that I'm on fire with by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you read it in faith, it will change your life. It will it will be a a it will be one of the most powerful transformational moments in your life if you really read that book. I poured my heart, my my tears, and my prayers into that book. So I I exhort you as your spiritual brother in Jesus Christ, Paul McGuire, to get yourself a copy and extra copies. Maybe you can get for, for, for the holidays. Get it now while you can save money. I'm serious. By going to paulmcguire.us, I exhort you to do that. Okay, we're going to be back in just a moment. I'm Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us and spread the message of this program far and wide. People all around the world listen to it, by the way. I'm Paul McGuire. We'll be back in a second. You are listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. Jesus Christ told his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples above anything. He said to his disciples, and that means anybody who who accepts the disciplines and the teachings of Jesus Christ, that's you and me. And anyone who calls themselves a Christian should be also a disciple of Jesus Christ. So Jesus told his disciples, and that's you and me also, not just the people back then. It's you and me and anybody who calls themselves Christian. Jesus Christ commanded his disciples to go to Jerusalem and to tarry in Jerusalem. And wait upon God and pray upon, and pray to God in Jerusalem until the Father sent power from on high upon all those who were tearing in Jerusalem and praying and waiting on God. So this was of critical importance. And so, as they obeyed God, see, it doesn't happen unless you obey God. And I want to reiterate that. You don't, you're not saved unless you obey God. You know that, and I don't know that. If you're not born again, you don't get into heaven. And you do not get power from on high, which what is what God wants, tells you you must have. You don't get power from on high unless you obey God. So back then, they had to tarry in Jerusalem until the Father sent power from on high. On the disciples, which was the super, which was and is the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, because the Jesus Christ knew that his disciples back then and today—that means you and me right now at this second—he knew that we could not win the spiritual battle that we're in. Jesus knew we could not bring in the last day's soul harvest. Jesus knew we could not be overcomers and win the people to Christ that we need to do. In other words, it is impossible for any of us, including me, it's impossible for us to fulfill the Great Commission and to accomplish the specific mission that God has called each one of us to accomplish. It's impossible. Unless, unless we are clothed with power from on high. Unless we receive power from on high. Now, that's what Jesus said, and that's what it says in the book of Revelation. 
So you're not clothed with power from on high. You're not equipped. And by the way, you're not completely ready. You're not completely ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ if you're not clothed with power from on high. Because in a sense, you're spiritually naked. You're unprepared. And to be blunt, and I'm not trying to be cute, but to be blunt and to speak to you directly, if the Lord were to return and you disobeyed him by not being clothed with power from on high, to use the proverbial old expression, at at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, you would literally be caught with your pants down. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm trying to use words and language to to lodge the truth in your heart. You would be caught with your pants down. You would be embarrassed, ashamed, and naked, just like Adam and Eve were when they were caught disobeying God's word by rejecting the commandment of God, okay, in the Garden of Eden. What happened to them? The fall of man occurred because they disobeyed God. And so God shows up in the Garden of Eden. He was there anyway. And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are freaked out because they're naked. They were literally caught with their pants down. Now, they, I believe, were clothed with the radiant glory of God. But a fig leaf, which is how they tried to cover their nakedness before the Lord, just doesn't cut it. And evangelicals and Christians all over America today, they think they got a little fig leaf. So they think that by holding up their fig leaf to cover their nakedness before God, that that's going to be acceptable to God when he returns. It's not going to be. Because God has told you in his word exactly what you need to do. If you want to be ready for the return of the Lord, and again, my question to you is this, are you ready? And one of the primary ways that you're ready is that you're not naked. You're clothed with power from on high, which means the dunamis, dynamite, explosive power of God. You can't fulfill the mission God has for you. You can't be used by God to bring authentic biblical revival and an authentic biblical third third great awakening to America to whatever degree God may allow it. And by the way, that's not guaranteed. It's based on whether or not you and I and Christians in America are willing to repent to God. Repentance must occur before God can send a, an authentic biblical revival or an authentic biblical third great awakening. <clears throat> repentance must occur. Not ambiguous, misdirected repentance. Repentance from the major sins, which are, Lord, forgive me for disobeying your word. Lord, forgive me for disobeying your commandments, God. God, you told me to be born again, and I slammed the door on your face. Lord, you commanded me to be clothed with power from on high, and I mocked it and said it was of the devil. You need to repent of that. Repent of your unbelief regarding the word of God. Repent uh, of your unbelief of denying that you're a sinner and that you need a savior. And then true repentance means that you change your thinking and you change your behavior. So you receive Christ and you're born again. And then you obey God, and instead of rejecting power from on high uh, with, with unfounded theological arguments, you obey God. 
You don't obey God because uh, you decide God doesn't know what he's talking about because you have a finite mind. You fall on your face before God and worship him because he's the infinite God. His mind is infinite. And God has commanded you to be clothed with power from on high in the last days. It's the only way you can win the spiritual battle. That's why I wrote the book, Three Years. From the time of the the presidential election chaos for that full year, and then two years with the the pandemic, I I basically stopped public speaking. I limited my media appearances, and I cried out to God, and I wept before the altar of God, and I I, I sought God with all my heart. I studied his word, and I agonized in prayer, saying over and over again, Lord, give me truth from your word, which I can share with your people so that the spiritual battle can be turned around in America and America can be saved according to what, to whatever degree you allow it. And, and, and I cried out and, and, and I didn't get a clear answer. Oh yeah, I immersed myself in the word. But finally, it was literally months after spending three years writing Power From On High. It was only like a month before the absolute final, final, final due date. And then the Lord put together the message. And and the message came when, in a private conversation, the term power from on high was used. And instantly, I knew that it had to be the title of the book, and that had to be the centrality, the, the central focus point of, of the message of the book, power from on high. It had to answer the questions from a scientific perspective, from the perspective of quantum mechanics and quantum physics, from the perspective of rejecting and, and not letting people get caught up into the spiritual era of false prophets and false doctrine and New Age teaching, and clearly rightly divide the Word of God. Because when you rightly divide the Word of God, then you're not going to mix up the Holy Spirit with a counterfeit Kundalini spirit or New Age spirit. And so, when you read this book, it will give you the ammunition spiritually and biblically and a scientific presentation based on, I don't claim to be a physicist, but I have studied physics and and particle wave theory and DNA and, and the Word of God and uh, uh, electromagnetic energy and electromagnetic frequencies and on and on and on and distilled these truths with a powerful, fast-moving message that will equip... You don't have to be a religious nut, roll on the floor, bark like a dog. That's not power from on high. That's lunacy. And I talk about that. But the emphasis is what we need in the American church, the number one reason We have not seen victory in the spiritual battle in America, and they're coming coming for us. If you don't think they're coming for us, then you know nothing about history. They have said in their own writing and documentation, which I have read and you can read, it's public public information. It's been publicly published. The the architects of the global reset and the, the globalist Luciferian elite, they are coming for you. They say it in their own words. And, and there's other things, dark, dark things. But God has given us a supernatural, spiritual weapon 
of unbelievable power and magnitude that will equip us to turn the spiritual battle and save souls like never before. So how dare we, how dare any Christian, including me or you, how dare we look in the eyes of our Heavenly Father in prayer? How dare we deny his offer? How dare we reject power from on high when it is the very thing, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, it is the very thing that gives us the energy and the supernatural power to be victorious and overcome the 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 swirling powers of darkness that are engulfing our nation. And if you can't see into the spirit realm, if you can't even see into the physical material realm, that there are swirling powers of ever-increasing darkness, principalities and powers that are gathering together and waiting to strike at their appropriate moment. And they're using occult strategies to summon the powers of darkness, like order out of chaos and other satanic doctrines. Now, I'm going to say something, and I'm going to say it strong, and I'm not going to apologize for it. What happens to America and the rest of the world ultimately is up to the sovereignty of God. He's the judge. But I can't guarantee you as a finite man anything. But I do know that God is a loving God, and God answers the prayers of his people. And I do know that God would not have given us this magnificent spiritual weapon, power from on high, for the last days if he didn't intend for us to use it. Why would God spend all this time teaching us about it in his holy word from Genesis to Revelation? Why would God go to all these lengths to teach line by line, verse by verse, precept by precept, on the power of the Holy Spirit? Why would God go to great lengths to preach all this to us and teach us about it? Why would Jesus Christ tell us right before he ascends into heaven, he commands his disciples to tarry in Jerusalem until the Father sends them the promise of power from on high? Why would God do all that? if he didn't intend for us to use it in the last days. That makes no sense. That is irrational. That is illogical. Our God is not irrational. Obviously. I mean, this really is a no-brainer, and I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes theologically. I understand why there's reticence and resistance by many of God's people regarding these subjects. I used to be of that number. And it comes down to this. Tragically, many of God's people who are thinking people, intelligent people, perceptive people, they have seen under the name, under the banner of things like power from on high and miracles and the supernatural power of God, they have seen often on Christian television, often in Christian meetings, I'm not talking about every church, I'm not talking about every meeting, there are many people in many churches and many ministries that manage biblically power from on high, and they do it biblically, and they do it in order. So I'm not dismissing some huge number of churches, but tragically there has been a disturbing percentage of churches and ministries, many which are on television, not all, but many which are on television and in, in the public eye, which tragically they have conducted themselves 
not as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, but they act like lunatics and crazy men and women for Jesus Christ. And that has caused God's people not to want to be associated with with the insane, and it's caused God's people to reject the legitimate biblical supernatural power of God because they've seen craziness, you know, really wacko, out there, twilight zone behavior. So that is the twilight zone, wacko, crazy behavior being promoted by those that claim to be operating on power from on high, but really aren't. They, they, they're under the influence, perhaps, from a different spirit uh, th- than the Holy Spirit. I get that. I understand that. I, you know, you've got to be discerning. And, and I deal with all this in my book, Power from One High. But just because there are uh, a certain percentage of people who call themselves Christians and people who claim to be, you know, in revival and claim to be operating with power from on high in the Holy Spirit, but then act like raving lunatics who, who, who any thinking person would reject, that, that is not a sufficient reason for you to disobey God's commandment to be clothed with power from on high. Just because people act crazy and nutty and like wackos does not give you the excuse to disobey God's commandments to the church and to you to be filled or clothed with power from on high. It's just that we, when you read the Bible, when Jesus tells us to be clothed with power from on high, there are parameters, there are disciplines, there are rules and regulations and procedures about how we're to operate our ministries, and Christian lives under power from on high. You just don't do everything you feel like doing. I've, I mean, I've, I've, I've been in every kind of meeting you can imagine, from the strictly fundamentalist, you know, I, my research, um, and I've been around the block. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. But Don't allow the devil and the powers of darkness to have their greatest victory. There is nothing the devil and the powers of darkness and the fallen angels would like more than to short-circuit God's people from God's supernatural power from on high by elevating craziness and wackoness. So don't allow the devil, who's the father of lies, to distort your perception, to distort your image, to distort your understanding of what should be legitimate, biblical, authentic moves of the Holy Spirit, such as what occurred in the first Great Awakening with Jonathan Edwards, the second Great Awakening with Charles Finney, a lawyer, who, who, who unlike most, Charles Finney, the father of the, the second Great Awakening, had the guts to actually confront the the unpleasant reality that in in some of the largest bible believing denominations in America at that time the the churches the so-called fundamentalist bible believing churches were literally packed with freemasons and other members of secret occult societies in fact charles finney was a member of these uh, freemasonic organizations and then he repented 
But he didn't stop there. Finney fearlessly called on all the Christian leaders and ministries and seminaries, etc., to to reject their their ties with Freemasonry and secret societies and, and the doctrines of Freemasonry. He openly confronted it. You don't you hardly see that today. And don't think these secret societies, etc., have gone away for a, a moment. <laughs> they haven't. They haven't. So it is possible to operate with power from on high decently and in order with peace and not act like a crazy fool. And I spend time on that because, see, that is the stumbling, but I believe personally that that is the number one stumbling block that Satan, the demonic powers, and the powers of darkness have used to sever the connection of God's supernatural power or power from on high from flowing into the hearts and minds and lives of his church, of his people, and of Christians everywhere who desperately need power from on high. Because the theological reality is this, that you and I, it is impossible for you and I to accomplish the will of God. It is impossible to to, uh, live the Christian life, and it is impossible to win the, the great spiritual battle in the last days. It's impossible to win that battle unless we are first clothed with power from on high. Let me close with this biblical defense. What? Why was David, the shepherd boy, able to go right into the battlefield between the armies of the children of Israel, who were in, in open warfare with the demonic Syrian armies? And remember, Goliath, the giant, was the champion of the Syrian armies, and genetically, Goliath was uh, from uh, a Nephilim. He was a supernatural giant in strength, and he stood there as the champion of the Syrian army, while while the the armies of the children of the true God were shaking in their boots and hiding and retreating, including. Uh, David's brothers, including King Saul, and Goliath was mocking uh, the, the armies of God and, and, and mocking their warriors and threatening to destroy them. You could say it's really a, a, almost a perfect parallel of the spiritual dynamic happening in America between the so called globalist elite and the children of God. And what happened? What happened was David was motivated by the Holy Spirit to go into the center of the battlefield, and and he didn't use the the, the expensive armor of King Saul. He simply used his trusty slingshot and one smooth stone. But why David had the power, why why David had the skill, why why David had uh, uh, the ability to go to confront Goliath in a state of total fearlessness and in a state of supernatural confidence is because David was anointed by the Holy Spirit and David was clothed with power from on high. The fact that David was clothed with power from on high enabled David to walk directly in front of Goliath, where where the massive armies of Syria were and, and the armies of the children of Israel were, 
And because David was anointed with power from on high, he looked directly into the eyes of the giant Goliath. And he thundered from his inner man because he was speaking out of the outflow of being clothed with power from on high. David thundered from his diaphragm and his mouth, as he, which amplified his voice. And he thundered out these words to, to Goliath. And everyone in the Syrian and, and the armies of the children of Israel could hear the words of David. As David said to Goliath, how dare you defy the armies of the living God? That boldness is not produced by emotionalism or irrational behavior. That boldness was a product of being clothed with the dunamis dynamite explosive power from on high. It was discharging out of his inner man into the spiritual atmosphere of the physical battlefield that meant life or death for the children of Israel. And then after David thundered the, thundered the words, how dare you defy the armies of the living God, he, he swirled his slingshot and fired one smooth stone. And that stone landed directly into the middle of Goliath's forehead. And, forehead, and, and Goliath, the giant, dropped with, like a great weight hitting the ground. Now, why was David so accurate with, with his slingshot? Why was he so enhanced? David was physically accurate with one stone with his slingshot because his skill set came from the fact that David didn't enter the battlefield until he was first clothed with power from on high. And once he was clothed with power from on high, it was a no-brainer for him to use his slingshot and slam Goliath in the forehead with one smooth stone. In addition, in his duties to guard the flocks as, as the shepherd boy, David practiced in the physical realm over and over again before he even showed up at the battlefield. He practiced in the physical realm defending the flocks from the wolves that wanted to devour the flocks, and he used the slingshot as one of his primary weapons to, to kill off the, the savage wolves. So in the same way, uh, David practiced in the physical realm, developed his talent in the physical realm, but when the day came for God to supernaturally call him to go into the middle of the battlefield, what caused David to be able to, to throw that stone with his slingshot with such accuracy was that he was clothed with power from on high. But notice something. Notice something. King Saul, who was in charge of the armies of Israel, had the most expensive and well-shaped armor you could possibly have. And he offered it to David. King Saul offered his incredible armor to David to help David kill off Goliath. But David, listen carefully, David declined to accept King Saul's spiritual, uh, no, King Saul's armor. Why? Because he was stupid? No, David declined to accept King Saul's armor because David knew he was clothed with power from on high, which means David knew that he was walking under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which was the dunamis power of God, and therefore David was clothed with power from on high, which represented power from on high, 
represented God's supernatural armor covering David from head to toe. So David didn't need the physical armor. He had the supernatural armor. He was clothed with power from on high. And that anointing enabled him to strike down David. And when that happened, excuse me, to strike down Goliath. And when that happened, the armies of Syria fled for their lives in terror. And the battle was won. And so how we bring this biblical truth to our reality today is when we perceive the enemies and the opponents of of the body of Christ, of true Christians, when we perceive them uh, uh, raising their voices and and threatening the, the children of God, the true Christians in America and throughout the world, we must immediately go into the perception mode by obeying God, and we do not give in. We do not surrender to a spirit of fear, and we maintain our position by using our authority in Christ, and we maintain our position by, by choosing to perceive the spiritual battle and the natural battle with the same perception that not only David did, but the same perception that Joshua and Caleb used as they entered the land of Canaan, and they trained their minds by the Word of God and the Spirit to perceive the so-called giants in the land of Canaan. Joshua and Caleb perceived those giants in their minds as if the giants were puny little grasshoppers. So Joshua and Caleb saw their enemies as grasshoppers, and the supernatural power of God, clothed with power from on high, that was anointing Joshua and Caleb, saturated the physical warfare environment to such an extent, listen to me, that it actually impacted the, the interior mindset of the giants, which meant that the giants themselves had a mental adjustment that they didn't expect. The giants themselves began to see themselves as grasshoppers, and the giants themselves saw themselves as grasshoppers and saw Joshua and Caleb as giants. Now, that interior mental transformation occurred because Joshua and Caleb rejected fear, put their faith in God, and when they put their faith in God, they were clothed with power from on high. The residual anointing of the Holy Spirit and the fact that power from on high clothed Joshua and Caleb impacted the interior mindset of the so-called giants, and they perceived themselves as grasshoppers, and they perceived Joshua and Caleb as giants. Do you see how the physical realm battlefield is impacted and altered by God's people when God's people choose to obey God, obey God's commandments, and when God's people choose to receive God's word by faith, and they don't commit the sin of fighting against God's word by unbelief, They choose to receive God's word by faith. So today, in the the spiritual battlefield of our time, with the Great Reset and all the rest of this nonsense, the choice that we have is we can perceive ourselves as grasshoppers, uh, we can perceive them as giants, 
but that would be to sin against God. We must believe what Jesus Christ told us as his disciples. We must cry out to God and pray to God by faith and ask God by faith to clothe us with the power of the Holy Spirit. When we are clothed with the Holy Spirit, which will 100% happen if we repent and believe and pray to God and ask him to do just that, then we will be clothed with the Holy Spirit. And when we're clothed with the Holy Spirit, the power, the supernatural power of God, the dunamis, dynamite, explosive power of the Holy Spirit, actually alters significant components of our physical reality and we perceive ourselves as giants, and we perceive our opponents as grasshoppers, and then we have the anointing and the supernatural power necessary and required to overcome the evil one on the spiritual battlefield, and the the consequent result of this, assuming our repentance is genuine, assuming we humble ourselves and cry out to God in prayer, then what will inevitably occur is that God will pour out his Holy Spirit upon us from heaven. He will clothe all true Christians and remnant Christians. He will clothe us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And by his grace and by his sovereign determination, you and I will see an authentic and biblical revival ignite in America. And then if we continue, in passionate intercession and prayer, and obey God and his commandments, God will allow us, by his grace, to receive power from on high, or what the Bible calls being clothed with power from on high. And when we are authentically clothed with power from on high, this will provide the spiritual power necessary for there to be an ignition in the spiritual realm of an authentic and biblical third great awakening, which will move across our nation, toppling the strongholds of the demonic, and we will take back the land to the degree that our King of Kings and Lord of Lords decrees that we are allowed to possess the geographic areas and territory and land that he has for us. In other words, the results are up to him, but we must obey his commandments. So the time has come, and it's being announced on this program, and it's being announced wherever anyone will yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. The time has come for us to believe the Word of God by faith, and to rise clothed with power from on high. And we will, if we do that, we will see God sovereignly intervene in this battle, and instead of us being destroyed uh, in, in, in ways of uh, compounding abomination, God will spare us the judgment to whatever degree that we deserve, and he will rescue us. He will deliver us. He will rescue us. He will send his angelic armies and his chariots of fire into the battlefield, and his church the impotence that has infected and plagued his church will be removed from the supernatural body of Christ, and they and you and me will be clothed with power from on high. But in order to do that, we must at this moment communicate this message 
so that it spreads. This message is the seed, the spiritual seed that is necessary for igniting an authentic and biblical revival. So I need your help. I need you to go to God as the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, which it is now. You need to go to God and ask him, Lord, how much do you want me to give financially and in terms of contributions and donations to Paul McGuire and Paradise Mountain Church? And then obey God and give what he tells you to do. Then obey God by spreading our message far and wide and the links far and wide. And finally, obey God by being clothed with power from on high and obey God by engaging in intercessory prayer. I believe that the book, my new book, Power from One High, will equip you to do all of that. God bless you, your servant in Christ. I'm Paul McGuire. Visit PaulMcGuire.us.